Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today has always been drawn to good storytelling, especially historical novels and Broadway musicals. While motherhood, hospital administration, and community volunteering were all rewarding, none completely fulfilled her creative longings. She's a graduate of Rutgers University and Columbia University's Mailman School of Public Health. And when not writing, reading, or traveling, she can be found working in her ever-expanding vegetable garden. The Convention of Wives, which will be published September 20th, 2022, which is next week, is her first novel. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Deborah Green. Thank you so much, Julia. Deborah, our opening question is always, so what took you so long to write a book? Always a great question. You learn so much about a person's life. I spent many years raising our three wonderful children and took a break from my hospital administration track to do that. And then went back to work after uh, our youngest started high school. And that time that I spent professionally really limited the time I had available to pursue anything outside of that. So between mothering, still mothering, even though they were in high school and beginning college, uh, and working, there was very little time for me to pursue anything such as writing a novel. But I always dabbled. I dabbled in writing. Well, once you wrote the book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to use a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? Uh, at the beginning, I did search for an agent and I made the mistakes that uh, new authors often do and sent out many, many query letters uh, at once and got many rejections uh, and got a little disheartened. And at that point, I uh, heard about uh, my publisher, She Writes Press, which is a hybrid publisher. And I thought I would take a chance. I knew that uh, being accepted was unlikely. But I figured this was the next step. And so that's what I did. And I was very pleasantly surprised to hear from them, a little bit shocked. Uh, and that was it. And we took off from there. Well, She Writes is very well respected in the publishing world. And they certainly create a wonderful community of women writers. Yes, they do. I have found my sisters. Uh, I certainly have a local writing class that I participate in. 
and I have a uh, local writing group that I'm a part of. But there is something different about going through the um, the actual publishing of a book. It is a, a very different journey. And it's been wonderful to have uh, these women uh, share that with me. What was your inspiration for this book? The inspiration uh, really comes from my own experience being married to a surgical resident uh, and then a practicing physician. And some of the frustrations I had uh, being a young mother and going through that experience, uh, the loneliness and uh, the challenge of being independent uh, in uh, sometimes raising our children when uh, my husband was not really around that much and, uh, and, and trying to find a way through that, uh, a positive way through that. Did real people inspire any of your characters? They did. Um, I think any author, uh, takes what they know, takes the people they know, the experiences they have and folds them into their writing. And perhaps this novel uh, to some degree is autobiographical, but to a, a large degree, it's not. Um, these are made up characters with pieces of people that I know. Uh, from physicians I've met along the way to many physicians' wives I've become friendly with and, and known and their stories. And um, I hope I've reflected some of, of what they have dealt with and some of the answers they've found and some of the questions they still have about um, how to deal with this somewhat unique experience. What does the title mean? The title is uh, Double Entendre uh, because uh, the main characters, Dina and Julia, actually meet at a convention as do uh, many doctors' wives. You know, we spend a lot of time during these conferences uh, taking care of ourselves in a way, uh, having a moment to, to breathe, be away from our, our families. And, uh, and we tend to meet at these uh, conventions and get to know each other. So the book was written about two women who actually meet at a surgical conference. And it, it, it also is about the coming together of women uh, and the importance of that, the importance of female friendship, the importance of female support, regardless of experience. You know, I'm writing about two surgeons' wives. I am sure there are many parallel stories about uh, policemen's wives and other similar um, experiences where a husband's career is demanding and serving of the public. And I think there would be many things that would be shared. Can you describe the editing process that you chose? The editing uh, was segmented in some way the beginning of the editing actually occurred in a writing class that I signed up for, where I got feedback not only from, um, not only from my writing teacher, but also from my classmates and learned a lot along the way. So there was several years of, I would say, workshopping this novel. And 
at that point, I felt that uh, when I felt I had something that was somewhat complete, I actually hired a developmental editor, Brenda Copeland, who was wonderful, and uh, spent about a year and a half with her going back and forth, mostly battling about how much of the historical portion of the novel to include. She wanted less, I wanted more. I wound up cutting about four or five chapters of the historical. Um, and just to, to take that a little further, um, it was important for me that the historical remained because I felt that one of the themes, the tenets of the book was the importance history plays in the um, in what happens to people in the present day, that our history is enfolded in who we are, both psychologically, uh, traditionally, genetically, all of it comes to play. And so for me, cutting the historical was almost painful because I, I just thought it was very germane to the book. Well, tell us a little bit more about the book and then read a few paragraphs for us to hear your tone and voice in the book. Sure. The story is about Dina and Julia, who, as I said, meet at a surgical conference. They're young. They both have infants and uh, new marriages and, and are struggling and they share their struggles uh, with their husband's schedules and with their loss of identity along the way. And uh, the book plays out over the 30 year friendship of these two women and uh, shows different uh, aspects of their marriages and changes in the friendship. And uh, it also flashes back historically into the 1800s and tracks the voyage of both of a uh, journey of both of these women's families to the United States and how that plays into their, their current day. And there's a mystery uh, surrounding both families and a connection between the two women. They had planned to meet in the room before lunch and golf. She'd been ready for 15 minutes. Where the hell is Rob? Once again, she'd entered the waiting zone, a place doctor's wives frequent as often as patients frequent the, rate, the waiting room. She wished she had scheduled her massage for today and not tomorrow. She hated wasting her time. But of course, as Rob continued to point out to her, the value of her time was somewhat questionable since she didn't work. The wife shift, he had called it. The hell with it. She wasn't waiting any longer. She dialed the spa on the hotel phone. Hi, this is Mrs. Wasserman in room 1014. I'm wondering if I can switch my massage scheduled for tomorrow for some time today, preferably within the next hour or so. Yes, we have an opening in about 15 minutes. Can you make that? Perfect. Great. Just head to the fifth floor on the North Tower elevator and we'll see you shortly. Thank you. Screw it. He'd have to lunch and golf alone. All those lessons for what? She was so tired of waiting that she decided to forgo leaving a note. Let him wonder for once where she was. Dina hurried into the spa elevator. Vaguely aware of another body standing next to her, she slowed her pace of chewing on the tasteless piece of gum she had popped into her mouth to eliminate the remains of the Bloody Mary tell. 
the candy treat had been included in the welcome bag given out to convention participants. After years of schlepping to meetings with Rob, this was her big prize, gum. She was aware of her breath slowing. She'd become adept at self-calming, putting her frustrations behind her. Rob's tardiness was just another minor skirmish in the war of their marriage, a war they both needed to win. That's great. I, I can just see her in that room pacing and, and getting ready to make that spa appointment. Yes, I've been there a number of times in my life. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I know that the book doesn't publish until next week, but have you met any challenges, um, anything pre-publication? What have you been doing for publicity? Well, I've actually decided to serve as my own publicist. I know that many people hire very talented uh, marketing pub uh, publicity staff, but uh this was something I wanted to try on my own and I am learning many new skills. It's very challenging. And I think the thing that resonates with me uh, is something that was said to me probably about two months ago, which is by, but I, I think by one of my She Writes uh, sisters. And um, she said, you know, you just can't do everything. You can't do everything. You can make a list. Uh, with very good intention, whether you have someone helping you, whether you do it on your own. And it's okay if you don't do everything. Uh, uh, it's important to get uh, your book out there. You want to get the message out there. You've worked so hard. Uh, and everyone, uh, you know, feels pushed in a way to do as much as they can. But there's a limit. And one of the reasons why I was able to write this book is because I have a life to draw upon and that life pulls me. My children still pull me in, in wonderful ways. And my husband and I spend time and we travel. And, um, and so there are only so many hours in the day. I have, I have some speaking engagements coming up that have been scheduled both in uh, New Jersey and also in Florida. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to those and have some interviews. And uh, I'm hoping that people read about and become interested in this novel. Well, I can just see you selling copies at all these medical <laughs> conventions. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure they want the entire message out. <laughs> Although I, I have to say, you know, things have really changed. Um, even the title of this book, from what is politically correct to uh, to term a spouse, it's really a, a spouse, a convention spouse. You know, we were all mm -hmm. wives at my time, by and large, there were a, a few, certainly men who came along with uh, women physicians at that time. But for um, most of us, we were convention wives. I think that, um, that the current uh, reader population, whether younger or older, uh, will find that even though uh, there have been changes certainly in who is the spouse, who is the physician, a lot of what happens uh, doesn't really matter, uh, you know, who is the spouse, who is the physician. That dynamic can occur with anyone uh, in which there's a couple and 
someone has a very demanding career. So I'm hoping that will resound in a more generic way. Well, I'm sure it will. And I know you lived this life, but uh, did you have to complete any research before you began or as you went along because you mentioned a historical aspect? I did. And I love doing the research probably to a fault. Uh, And I have been warned uh, by many people who write uh, historical novels that that is a danger, that you can go down the Google rabbit hole and uh, or at your library, pull book after book and uh, read and read and take notes. And um, and I enjoy that. And in fact, I find that it can change and drive my story as I go along. There's no question that things changed based on what I I read uh, about. But um, but I think that there's a limit and you have to uh, sort of control that so that you don't lose uh, the driving force of the plot uh, and the character development. I'm always interested in what writers edit out of the book. Was there anything that fell on the cutting room floor? There was. Uh, As I mentioned, I had somewhat of a battle with my developmental editor about the uh, percentage of history (laughs) that was going to be in this book as opposed to the contemporary story. And I do have about five historical chapters that went by the wayside. One of them, I, in particular, I felt very bad about cutting because it gave the background of one of the husbands and in some way rounded out his character. And I think because there were many characters in this book, uh, it, it was necessary to to eliminate some of the background. But I think what was lost was was the basis of his humanity, the basis of his struggles and the person he became. Because as we all know, uh, in life and as writers, we certainly want to paint characters that are complex, uh, multi-layered, and have reasons for why they act the way they do. So I... That was a chapter that I felt particularly um, not upset, but sad about losing um, because I think it was a a loss of character development, if nothing else. Um, There were other historical chapters that went further back in time. I originally started in the 1600s, giving the background of these families. And that did take more research into, um, I don't wanna give too much away, but into the European um, backgrounds of of both of uh, these women and the husbands. And I uh, was uh, guided to make the historical chapters uh, a little bit more not current, but uh, move up the timeline a little bit to something closer to current day, that it it was reaching a little too far back uh, if I wanted to combine both a contemporary story and a historical uh, story. So I I did lose some of that. Well, maybe you can 
use some of those eliminated chapters and write a prequel? Maybe if uh, if it's uh, wanted or warranted, I would certainly be open to that. Uh, I definitely, um, in my mind, saw those storylines uh, continuing in different ways, but did not put it down on paper. But maybe I will have that chance. That's a great idea. Do you think you have any unpublished or or uh, future books in you? I do. I'm actually shopping around a book right now uh, that I've completed. Uh, it's tentatively uh, called uh, Mahjong at Maras. Very different book than The Convention of Wives, but uh, an overriding theme of what happens when people from different backgrounds come together and uh, both the positive and negative aspects of the relationships that they form and the struggles that they have and and the importance of that happening in this world. So um, so I'm looking forward to um, getting representation or uh, finding a way of publishing Mahjong at Maris. And I started a third um, and I'm working on that. Well, Mahjong has become quite the popular game. They teach classes here in Texas, even. <laughs> Mahjong has traveled from, uh, you know, China uh, all those years ago, all over the world. And uh, a lot of people enjoy it. And it is a way for people to come together. So in this book, it's a way for a group of, um, of seniors to meet each other and get to know one another uh, in, in a community. And um yeah, it's a great game. I play it myself. It's taken the place of bridge in a lot of places, I think. Well, that's that's true. I think uh, some people enjoy mahjong, some people bridge, some people play both. Um, then there's canasta. You know, you can go on. I think it's great at a certain point in, in age. Um, this is authors over 50 after all. Uh, I think to retain mental acuity, and to socialize, these games become important. And um, I'm sure my children laugh when I tell them I'm off to a canasta game or, you know, a bridge game, but um, they'll get there. They'll understand it a little bit more when they're older. And, um, and I'm quite enjoying everything I play. So, Well, here in the little village settled by the Germans here in Texas, we play a lot of dominoes. <laughs> Dominoes. That is something I don't, I have them in my basement, but I don't play them. So interesting. Okay. Maybe I'll pursue that. What do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? I have to say of the money I have spent and I have spent, you know, this is uh, an industry they say where if you're looking to make money, you should walk out of the room. Um, the best money I ever spent was signing up for a writing class. I have had the same teacher for quite a number of years. Uh, her name is Michelle Cameron. She's an author herself and uh, of historical novels. And that class did several things. It gave me skills I didn't have. I was a storyteller, I had written short stories, I had written in community papers, but I hadn't ever written a novel. I wrote a screenplay 25 years ago, 
um, but never a novel. And writing a novel is a, it's a different animal, you know, different thing. So that class gave me skills. Um, it gave me community. Um, it allowed me to reveal my inside crazy <laughs> to people who I felt safe uh, with doing so uh, because they revealed themselves to me. And it also made me feel legitimate. Um, when I would, I had um, stopped working about 10 years ago, um, had to take care of a, a sick uh, parent and um, had been winding up some consulting I was doing for two hospitals. And um, I decided to sign up for this class as something for myself sort of keep myself sane. And I had started the novel and had an interest in doing something real with it. But, but this class gave me the ability when I would meet people for the first time or be at a cocktail party and people would say, what are you doing? What do you do? And I couldn't talk about my hospital work anymore. I wasn't doing it. Uh, and I, it took me a while, but eventually I felt comfortable saying I'm a writer. And the more I went to class and the more the novel developed, uh, the more I thought that was true. It, it took a while and it still is a funny thing, but um, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So I think that is the best money I ever spent taking that class. And I continue. I was going to sign up this fall again because it keeps me on track having to produce about eight pages a week. It keeps me going. Um, but there are too many things going on with the conventional wives. So I'm going to have to wait until next semester, but I'm looking forward to that. Does your family support your career as a writer, especially your husband, since you're writing about his chosen career? You know, it's, it's a very funny thing. He's, he is exceedingly supportive. Um, he always has been with somewhat of a caveat. Um, when I decided initially to go back to work uh, and we had uh, the, you know, three children and who still needed my time and energy. Um, he said to me, you know, that's really fine. I, I have to go back. He was he was also uh, in school at that point, besides working, getting his MBA. And I think my going back to work was somewhat in reaction to that, that I finally uh, needed to just do something for myself. And um, but he turned to me and he said, you know, I think that's great. You should, you know, absolutely do what you want to do. It's it's terrific. Um, but um, I really have no additional time to take up any of the slack. So if that's OK, then, uh, you know, um, go, go back, do what you would like to do. And so, um, and this was when I was first going back to work and, um, and I thought, okay. Uh, and I just did it. I just did it. Um, so he's always been supportive, maybe with a little bit of an asterisk because of his own demanding, um, professional career. Um, and then, um, I would say that um, as far as the Convention of Wives, he's very supportive of the book coming out. Um, 
but he does tell people he may have to leave town because um, certainly there are two surgeons in the book. Uh, there are two marriages in the book. And some of this does pull on our life. Most of it um, does not. Certainly the plot of it does not. But um, the everyday interaction um, does a little bit. And, and also in, in um, you know, in, a, in both negative and positive ways, I do reflect the actual struggles of marriage, um, but also the importance of getting through and finding your way to the other end of whatever those struggles are and the benefits and the rewards of being able to do so. Uh, and so for that reason, maybe he'll stick in, you know, stay in town, but um, he's a little concerned. <laughs> I hear that a lot from writers who are writing memoirs. So I understand oh, sure. that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm not sure how to do that. You know, I've, everybody has so many stories about their families, their children, their in-laws their, you know, and I, I wonder how you tread that line. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It's difficult. Well, and I, I understand what you're saying about dividing responsibilities and families and time because young women today won't understand how it was uh, several years ago when we were uh, raising our children and trying to balance careers. And if the woman wanted to work outside the home, uh, she still was responsible for children and for meals. And uh, that has certainly changed today. I've I've watched my own daughters and their dynamics within their families and the men have to step up and it's 50-50. So I, I love to see that that at least has changed in our lifetimes. Well, I think it's changed to some degree. I'm really not sure it's 50-50. I, I just spoke with uh, a woman who is younger than me. She's in her, I would say, early 50s and has a career. And we talked about the fact that even though her husband functionally has picked up certain things, she still feels like she's the glue. She, uh, you know, is looking down from a thousand feet at everything that's going on, everyone's schedules and what has to be done and, and carries sort of that angst with her. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting conversation. And I'm sure if you get into the weeds, every marriage is different. Every um, parenting experience, you know, every couple's experience is really different, but I have um, two daughters and a son and uh, all married to COVID weddings, um, but all married in the last three years. And they are, um, I can see there are no children yet, but they're all struggling with how they're going to balance all of that. And I'll be curious to see how it all works out. Well, Deborah, our last interview question is always, our writers over 50 are such a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? My um, advice for them is to enjoy the ride. I think at this point in our lives, if something brings you stress, and this experience has, I'm not going to lie, has been somewhat stressful, but if you cannot reach the point where you can't sit back and smile and think about what you've accomplished 
and the friends you've made along the way, the relationships, uh, and the pleasure that doing this has brought you and the pleasure of writing continues to bring you, then I'm not sure what it's for. So I, I would hope that, that um, certainly writers of a certain age get pleasure from what they're doing and just, just enjoy the ride. I think that's great advice for all of us. We all need to enjoy the ride no matter what we do. And I call it riding in life's sweetest third. So I hope we can really enjoy the the sweetest third of our lives. So thank you so much, Deborah, for being with us today and offering your experiences. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our writers, authors over 50. Thank you so much, Drew. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.